morning again, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. If you're with us and you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page, excuse me, page 748, page 748 in the Pew Bible. If you're visiting with us and you would like a Bible, feel free to take that one. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your own hands, so please take the Pew Bible if that would be a blessing to you. Uh, please feel free to do that. Daniel chapter 10 is where we will be at this morning. Uh, just one thing before we pray and jump into our passage. Uh, this Saturday, uh, we have talked to a few men and we have a plan. We're going to begin some of the, uh, the changes up here up front uh, with the paneling, with some of the structure of the platform. And so uh, we've talked to a few of you already to help. If you are interested, Pastor James, we don't need a lot of folks uh, we'll just be tripping over each other, but if you say, hey, I'd be a gopher or hold a nail or something, uh, talk to Pastor James, uh, but we're looking forward uh, to beginning that process. So it'll look a little different next Saturday up here, and as you see signs as you go into places that are working, you know, pardon our mess, uh, it'll be a little bit of a process, but I'm excited uh, for that to come to fruition here, so looking forward to that this Saturday. If you found your way to Daniel 10, let's pray. And then I will read a portion of our passage by way of introduction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come and to worship. Lord, all we have is Christ. Lord, that's what matters. Not how much money we have, how good of a person we are, what car we drive, what our job is, who our family is. But do you, do I, do we know Jesus? That is the greatest question. Lord, and it truly is the only thing, the only person that can save, Jesus. And this morning as we come to your word, Lord, as we look at this passage that happened a couple thousand years ago, Lord, we see here a reflection of the battle, the need for Jesus, or the ultimate conquering king to come and to set all things right. Lord, help us now as we come to your word to understand it, to apply it to our lives. We pray in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 12 as our introduction this morning. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. This morning we're going to look at Daniel chapter 10, which is the beginning of the end. Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are one unified thought. They all go together. Um, now it would be on the brink of insanity for me to try to preach 10, 11, and 12 in one message. Uh, there'd be a lot to cram in. So what we're going to do this week and uh, the next few weeks after our missionary speakers, uh, we're going to look at chapter 10, then chapter 11, then chapter 12, much like we've been doing. But understand that those three chapters all fit together as one unit. This final vision given to Daniel. As we've made our way through the book of Daniel, we've seen God's plan over humans' powers. How he is sovereign, how he is in control 
over the rising and falling of nations. And we know that as he is in control of the big picture, the macro things, we need to be reminded that he is in control over the micro things. The day in, day out things in your own life. Nothing happens without God putting it there for a reason. Now that can seem like something trite and simple to say, right? Everything happens for a reason. But it's true. God is in control. Everything that comes into your life, God uses for your good and his glory. And today we're going to look at Daniel 10, which peels back the curtain and we get a glimpse of some things that are happening that we may not even be aware of. Have you ever heard this phrase, how the sausage gets made? That might be familiar to you. You know, how the sausage gets made. Why is that a phrase? Well, as sausage was made, sausage is a conglomeration of all sorts of things, right? Some things, ooh, that sounds good. Some things it's like, no, thank you. I do not want to hear what's in the sausage. It's the idea that the sum, the total, the result of what happens, we know and we're okay and we're comfortable with. But how it comes together and what's all involved, I'd rather not know, right? That's why my wife, anytime we buy hot dogs, has to buy all beef hot dogs. Even though there's something so good, just about one of the fake ones. Oh, man, you put enough ketchup. Oh, it's good. It's good. How the sausage is made. What happens behind the scenes? What is involved in bringing about the final goal or the final end? In Daniel 10, the beginning of this bigger section, we see a glimpse here of the spiritual warfare that is happening behind the scenes. As Daniel is given another vision, this time of a, of a man that is unlike any other vision he's had so far, we are told about this battle, this conflict. Not in a human, earthly sense, but in a spiritual sense. And this is a good reminder for us. That just as we see kingdoms coming to power and kingdoms falling from power, we know that there are greater things at work, greater things happening. And it's a humbling thing, but it's also a sobering thing to remind us that it is a real spiritual battle that we are in. It's a truly spiritual battle that we are in. So let's look here at Daniel 10. Our big idea for these three chapters, this final section, is this. Is that spiritual warfare has been present and will continue to be present until the final consummation of Christ's kingdom. So that term consummation is the idea of bringing all about the final end, the final goal as it should be of Christ's kingdom. This is, think of it, God coming back and setting everything right, setting everything straight. That's the final consummation. But until then, we need to be aware that there is a spiritual battle happening. Spiritual warfare, things that we cannot see at work. And we get a glimpse of this here in Daniel 10. So as we look here, these three chapters, just chapter 10 today, we see here the vision of the man. Next, or not next week, but in a few weeks, we'll look at the vision of the north and south, these kings that are at war, and then finally the vision of the end of God's final glory and victory. But the vision of the man here in chapter 10. In chapter 10, it's the third year, verse 1 says, of Cyrus, king of Persia. Daniel is an old man. He's an old man. He's probably in his 80s. 
He served faithfully under Nebuchadnezzar and the other Babylonian kings. And now he is in the reign of Persia. And he is, whether serving, he has some sort of role there as well. And he is tired. He is weary. And Daniel records for us this vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Daniel is making this very clear. He's writing in a third person to make it clear who is receiving this. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, or it was about a great conflict. It could be translated a couple different ways. I think about a great conflict is a better understanding because everything that Daniel's going to hear is going to be about the striving, the battle of the kings and the kingdoms against the nation of God and ultimately against God himself. So he's receiving this vision about this great conflict and he understands the word and he has wisdom about it. He is given understanding of the vision. Verse 2, Daniel very personally says, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. This term mourning could also be translated or understood as worship. The idea of mourning is humbly crying out. And we read of things that Daniel's doing. He is giving up delicacies. No meat or wine entered his mouth. He didn't anoint himself. The idea of putting on um, like pleasant smelling oils in a sense of, of presenting yourself in a proper way before the court. He did away with these niceties. And it's not just because he wanted to give it up and just do whatever he wanted. No, he did it in his morning, in his sober remembering of God. Because we read here, he did this for full three weeks. And it was on the 24th day of the first month. According to the Persians and the Jews at this time, this would be around March or April. And most commentators believe this morning or this worship was associated with the feast of, uh, of Passover, around that time of this focused worship here. So Daniel is stepping aside for three weeks to focus and to sober himself and to worship God. And it's on this day that he was on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. If you remember your geography, there are two main rivers in Babylon or modern-day Iraq, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And these two rivers were crucial to any nation that had control. Because when you're in the desert, water is important. (laughs) Very important. The Tigris River would have been some length outside of the main city of of Babylon or Persia at this point, uh, one of their main cities. So Daniel could have been anywhere from 20 to 200 miles away from the capital or where he would normally be living. But he had gone away to get away, almost like a little retreat, we think of it. And Daniel has been away, he's on the river, he's worshiping God, he's fasting, he's praying, uh, he's denying himself these niceties in order to worship God. But something happens, verse 5. He lifts up his eyes and he sees something. He sees, rather, a person. And it's a man clothed in linen. Now, Daniel has seen visions before of men. Uh, Angels have come to him, revealed to him. But as we read this, it's important to realize the the importance of this individual. 
the description of this individual and Daniel's response is wholly unlike any other response to any angel. Sure, the other angels Daniel has fallen down before or been overwhelmed with, but nothing like this. And I think that leads us to the conclusion that this man is not an angel, but rather a a pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, this manifestation of God in this vision before Daniel. Because look at the description. He's a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. This would denote deity, power, royalty. Uh, None of the other angels are described as having this belt of gold. But this man is. And then we look at what his demeanor is like. His, his body was like barrel. It's like a gold and amber color. And his face like the appearance of lightning. Very bright. Shocking. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. As you look at those descriptors of this man... These are all similar descriptors used of Jesus or the coming Jesus several different times. It would seem that this angel, or excuse me, this man that Daniel is describing is not an angel, but rather God himself. And we see the result. Daniel alone saw this vision. There were other people with him, but they didn't see it. But they knew something was happening. A great trembling fell upon them. They were scared. They were overwhelmed knowing that something was happening, and they fled. They ran away. They couldn't see this man, but this man had the effect on everything around him. It's similar to that of Jesus and Saul on the way to Damascus, right? We, Saul falls down, and he's overcome with the voice and seeing Jesus, and they're like, wait, what's happening? They weren't privy to it, but yet they knew something was happening. Daniel himself saw this great vision, verse 8, and he was utterly overcome. No strength was left in him. His appearance changed. He fell down. As he heard the sound of his words, he fell down on his face in deep sleep. In a sense, he passed out. He was so overwhelmed with the presence of this vision and this man that Daniel fell face to the ground. And the term sleep here, could the idea, it's the idea of passing out in a sense, (laughs) of being blacked out. He was so overcome with the presence of this individual. This is, sounds like a descriptor of somebody coming face to face with God, being overwhelmed with his presence. Daniel has this vision of a man. And then all of a sudden, another angel is there. You look at verse 10 through the end of chapter 10, and Daniel has interactions with one, two, maybe three angels. But we know that the ones that he interacts with are not this man that he has the vision of. Because we see how their interaction is different. The, uh, the, the tense changes. He doesn't refer back to the man that he saw speaking to him, but he refers to those angels coming to him. These are angels like he has witnessed before. And so this is where we get a glimpse behind what is happening. Daniel has this vision of this man, and he is overcome. But then we learn about more events that were happening. Verse 10, a hand touches him and sets him trembling on his hands and knees. It's the idea he, these hands pick him up and set him up. 
like a parent would do to a child. One who's fallen down. Pick him up, set him up, dust him off. Are you okay? And Daniel is greeted by this man. He says, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Again, we read how Daniel is loved by God. And he says, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. This angel has been sent to Daniel to explain to him something. What is it? Well, it's going to be this vision that's going to be revealed uh, in the following chapters. He says, stand up. I have something for you. Daniel says, when he had spoken this, I stood up, but I was trembling. And again, he said, fear not. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Again, as we think sovereign over everything, it's not a fatalistic, oh, God's in charge and he doesn't care about me, right? We, he, he doesn't care about us as just an inanimate creation. My son creates with Legos. He builds all kinds of crazy, amazing things. He builds with his magnetiles, all these structures. But he doesn't put into account what they feel, what they think. Well, they don't. They're inanimate objects, right? So he can destroy and break and throw around all that he pleases. God is not like that with us. We are not just things for him to mold and to make and then to disregard. Again, we read here of Daniel crying out to God and God hearing him and loving him and sending his angels to him to communicate with him about these visions. We see again and again that in this spiritual battle, God cares for us. He loves us. He wants to know what's on your heart. He wants you to cry out to him. And you can. The same God who raises nations and causes them to fall It's the same God that we can cry out to and be heard by. Talk about knowing somebody who can do something about it. Right? Knowing knowing somebody that can do something. Have you ever had an issue at a store and you're talking to somebody or maybe it's on a phone and it's about a warranty or returning a product or, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have the authority to do that and I need to talk to my manager and you're just like, give me somebody who can do something about it. (laughs) that's God. God is someone you can cry out to who can do something about it. And again, we see that here as this messenger is sent to Daniel because of his pleas, his crying out, his prayers. We get a glimpse that there's more going on than we might think. He says, I've come since the first day that you uttered these things. Your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. But verse 13 says, he's been delayed. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Remember, how long has Daniel been by the river? Three weeks. I'd be 21 days. Here are these, this is literal weeks. It's a different word uh, than that from, from the previous passage. But 21 days, Daniel's been crying out. And yet this angel has been uh, held up for 21 days, three weeks. Why? Because there seems to be this prince of the kingdom of Persia conflicting with him. Now the question is, we understand this man coming to Daniel as an angel, a supernatural being. So this man who is striving with him or withstanding him, is he a human prince? Probably not. I don't know of any 
human individual who can fight off an angel. That's just not how it works. This supernatural being being held off by a human? No, so who is this prince then of the kingdom of Persia? Well, we understand that prince is a term that can refer to a power or a ruler, somebody who has authority. And here, this prince is of the kingdom of Persia. And it would seem that this prince then is a supernatural being with authority or something in control of the kingdom of Persia. As we continue to read about Michael, another angel coming, another chief prince who is an angel, it would seem that this prince of the kingdom of Persia is a fallen angel. A fallen angel or what we would maybe commonly refer to as a demon. We understand that God created the angels at some point uh, before the, the days of creation because it, the angels were present as the foundations of the world would, were laid. So at some point in time, the angels were created and at some point, Satan fell from his position of, in a sense, glory. He wanted to be God and yet he usurped the throne and God said no and he cast him down out of heaven from his lofty place and with Satan came a third of the angels of the heavenly host. We call them demons or fallen angels. These were created by God, yet they were corrupted by the sin, by the pride of Satan. And therefore, they are his followers, his, in a sense, messengers, those who follow him. So we have Satan and his, his followers, and they are at war. Good versus evil, light versus dark. God versus Satan. Now we understand that God always wins and will win. It's not an, an, an either or. Oh, I don't know. It's going this way. It's going this way. No, it's without a doubt we know who, who wins. But yet, these enemies of God consistently and constantly war against God and his followers. And it seems that we read about an instance here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is a fallen angel that has influence and impact over the kingdom of Persia. And he withstood this messenger for 21 days. These nations that rise and fall, these nations that are set against God and his followers, it shouldn't be a surprise that there are demonic influence and fallen angels at work behind the scenes that are manipulating and seeking to thwart and put down God's plan and God's people. And here we read of one individual whose realm seems to be or responsibility seems to be over the kingdom of Persia. In a little bit, we'll read of one who is prince over the nation of Greece. But we get a glimpse into this spiritual battle. This messenger is fighting against this prince over Persia, and it's, it's deadlocked until Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help. Michael is often referred to as the archangel or chief angel. Here we read of chief princes. So there seems to be maybe more than one. We don't know how many. We don't have this whole hierarchy of angels that some religious traditions do. But we understand that Michael is a named angel as though as Gabriel. And Michael is one who seems to be chief of the angels, a mighty warrior. And he comes to assist this messenger. And he fought with him 
against this king of or prince of Persia. And he did this, this angel did this, because he came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. This fallen angel was striving against this messenger angel, trying to stop him from delivering this message about the coming days yet to come. Why would he want to do that? One, because this message would be giving understanding what God is doing. It's to give insight and knowledge to not only Daniel, but those who would read his writing about the vision, about what's happening. And that would give encouragement and strength to the people of Israel, to God's people, to his chosen nation. It would give God glory, demonstrating how he is in charge. And so we see how this spiritual battle is at work. We get a glimpse behind the curtain as these forces fight, as the enemies strive against God's people and his kingdom. Daniel continues in verse 15, says, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. He was thinking. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched me, my lips. This could be the same angel, could be a different one, and it strengthened him. And he opened his mouth and spoke, I, I have no strength, he says. I'm overcome with these vision pains and, and everything that is weighed upon me. This is, this is heavy. This is burdensome. How can you talk with me? For I don't have any strength. I'm going to be overcome. Verse 20, again, the one having the appearance of man touched him and strengthened him and encouraged him. It says, one who is greatly loved, do not fear. Peace be to you. Be strong and of good courage. He comes to strengthen and encourage Daniel for what he's about to hear. And Daniel was strengthened and he said, Speak, for you have given me strength. And he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. We know as we've looked at history, we've looked at the visions here, that the nation of Greece is the one that replaced Persia at the world power, Alexander the Great. And he says, I'm going to be battling against the spiritual forces of evil at work in Persia. But once they're gone, I'm going to be battling against the spiritual powers of darkness at work in Greece. He says, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Seems that Michael has a special place over the nation of Israel. He is, for lack of a better phrase, the nation's guardian angel. Fights for them in a supernatural sense against the supernatural forces of evil. Now, the vision is explained in chapter 7, but looking at chapter, excuse me, chapter 11, but chapter 10 here, we see the setting of what is happening. Daniel has been receiving visions, but they've been visions given to him on his bed or as he's been out. And it's, it's of kingdoms and kings and human agents and human actors in this grand story. But here we get a glimpse that there is more going on than just human interaction, but rather there's a spiritual battle happening. This is good for us to remember and to know, to get a peek behind the curtain. That though we see human kingdoms and human rulers, there is a greater battle going on more fierce than we could possibly understand against the spiritual forces of evil and darkness under Satan's control and God's kingdom, God's power, 
There is these spiritual battle going on. It's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness, right? Of evil, of rulers, of principalities, of the prince, of the power of the air. Our greatest battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil, against sin, against Satan and his followers. And we see here how God's enemies are at work through rulers or influencing nations. And it shouldn't be a surprise when we see these nations all over the world today and throughout history that have been dead set against God and against the Bible, against the gospel. It's because there are these influences, spiritual influences of darkness, moving, formulating, manipulating things behind the scenes. Now, is there a fallen angel behind every nation? We don't know that. But perhaps the world powers that are dead set against God and his message, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised when we look at the world and we see things that are so contrary to truth and think, how is this accepted? Satan is a father of lies. He's a deceiver and he can twist and turn the truth of God's word against itself. And he can set the course of this world to a certain extent to be against God. And his message. The spiritual battle is true. It's present. It's there. We get a glimpse of it here with this account. It's often a joke amongst pastors. The phrase is, the devil's in the details, right? For a pastor, it's, no, 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 the devil's in the wires. If you've ever been to a church that has not at some point in time had an issue with their sound system, I'd love to meet that sound guy. <laughs> and to a certain extent, you laugh like, okay, it's putting something together. Something's not working right. And in Minnesota, our church was a little clo- close to the airport. And so when certain airplanes flew over, it messed with things. It was weird. But there are some things that cannot be explained of things happening, of things not working, right? And you're like, chalk it up to, well, Satan doesn't want us to hear the the word today. And while that can just be said kind of nonchalantly, it's the truth. There are things that happen in our lives that we might say, well, that's coincidence. Nothing is coincidental in our lives. Nothing happens without God allowing it to happen, without God putting it there for a purpose, or there's this battle going on. So God allows these things to happen, that there are times when it's a true spiritual battle when the gospel's going out when a church like ours is seeking to stand for the truth and proclaim the truth, that there is opposition. That there are things that go awry and you're like, what in the world? Why is this happening? Or why is this happening? It should not surprise us because the spiritual battle is real. Does this mean that there's a fallen angel or a demon behind every bush? No. You aren't afflicted with the demon of procrastination. You are just a procrastinator by nature, right? (laughs) Don't explain your bad qualities off on a demon. (laughs) Some people do that. Certain veins of Christianity do that. Remember, we still have a sin nature that we battle against. We have a personality that God has given us that we need to, you know, work with. But we dare not neglect the fact that there is a spiritual battle happening as well. We don't sway one side to be so overwhelmed with the supernatural that we forget our own responsibility. And we don't deny the supernatural so much to the other extreme that we don't give it any thought. But it's a balance that we are in a spiritual 
battle. And what does God say to us as New Testament believers about the spiritual battle? We are to fight it. What is one of the most common illustration God uses for the Christian life in his word? We are to be soldiers. We're to be soldiers. We're to be at war. We're to be ready to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians 6, we are given what? Armor, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace. We have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. What weapons do we have to fight the spiritual battle? We have the truth of God's word. We have the help of his Holy Spirit and the reality of the gospel at work in our lives. Remembering who God is and what he's done and his word that describes it to us. We have this battle. We are in a battle. So we can't approach our spiritual life nonchalantly. We must be ready, on guard. We must approach ministry the same way, intentional, active, understanding that when we are seeking to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, there will be opposition from God's enemies. The supernatural war is real. While our imaginations can run wild with this idea of, of angels and this battle, we, we shouldn't be so preoccupied that we're no good right here where we're at. But we dare not forget it. We dare not forget that we are in a battle. This past week was the 22nd anniversary of September 11th. Now, most of you could probably remember exactly where you were on that Tuesday. I had just finished PE class. Williamsburg Junior Senior High School in Williamsburg, Iowa. And we are coming out of the locker room and we are taking our towels uh, to the laundry room where Mrs. Gillespie, Mrs. G, she was the, uh, the, uh, one of the uh, janitorial staff and she was the laundry lady. Everyone loved Mrs. G. If you were really nice, she'd get you a warm towel right out of the dryer before you went to get cleaned up after PE. That was awesome. And she had in her office... One of the greatest marvels of technology in 2001. It was a nine-inch black-and-white TV-VCR combo, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like this big with the stack. You can put your favorite v VHS tape in there. Oh, man. But Mrs. G normally had The Price is Right or a talk show on in the morning. And we'd come by and we'd say hi to Mrs. G, and she'd chat with us, and we'd go to line up to be dismissed to our next class. But that morning, I remember walking by and throwing my towel in, and her and another janitor were in there. I'm like, hey, Mrs. G, nothing. We look in there, focus. We're like, what's going on? There's been an attack in New York. This, this plane ran into one of the World Trade Centers. So me and two or three of my friends were standing there, and we were crowded around this little nine-inch black-and-white TV, and we saw the second plane hit. And that day... The whole day, basically at school, we just watched the news all day. I was in eighth grade. That night, we had a football game in Tipton, Iowa. I remember sitting there or at the game, and it was this weird, surreal feeling. Everyone was subdued and quiet. And at one point during the game, almost everybody looked up because there was a jet trail flying east. And you could see the plane, and you could see two fighter jets with it. It's President Bush flying from Omaha back to Washington, D.C. You remember that day, that, that sky was crystal blue, not a cloud in it. And you could see this flying over. 
I'm the generation that that's defined my upbringing. For several of you, you've had several of those different things happen in your life. But in my life, I remember what life was like before September 11th and what was like after. And it's there. It's in my conscience. I live through it. Most of us live through it. But this past Monday, as I was watching a few video clips on YouTube about it, Ezra walked up. And he goes, Dad, what are you watching? I said, it's about September 11th. He goes, what's September 11th? He's seven. That was 15 years before he was born. So I explained to him, well, this is what it was and what these people did. And for a little seven-year-old mind to compute that, and I think he did to the best of his abilities, and he went on and he played. But the phrase that often gets repeated again and again about September 11th is this, what? Never forget. And I saw some political commentators and cultural commentators say, I think we've already started to forget. We forgot what happened and the things about our country that made it great following that. There's a lot of discussion that could be had about the cultural atmosphere in our nation today. But I, the point I want to make is this. is just as we think of that event and the subsequent battles in so many different ways that happened of never forgetting, how often in our spiritual lives do we forget that our spiritual life is a battle? that we're at war, that there's a greater spiritual reality happening. Never forget, never forget that you are in a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, but against supernatural forces, against things we cannot see. We are in a battle for truth, for good, for righteousness. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of his kingdom. You are part of his family. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ, and you are to fight the good fight of faith. You're to put on your armor and be ready to battle. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on the opposite side of the battle. You're an enemy of God. And as Jesus says, if you do not know him as your Savior, you are of your father, the devil. As we think of a battle, there are two sides in a battle. Which side are you on? As this messenger angel was conflicted in this conflict with this fallen angel of Persia, we see here this reality of the spiritual battle that is happening, and it continues to rage today. Let us remember that. Let us remember that we are in a battle. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Do you have your armor on? Which side are you on? But as we continue here in chapter 11 and in chapter 12, we fight the battle knowing the end. We know who wins. Therefore, just as Daniel was strengthened and encouraged, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Why? Because our God is in control. And just as these spiritual powers are battling it out, we know who has the ultimate victory. So may we take our place as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, ready and willing to fight, knowing in the end who wins. May we never forget that. May we always be 
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminder for us of the reality of the spiritual battle. Lord, we need your help to fight it. It's not up to us in our own strength, but it's yours that you give us through the gospel, through your word. Help us not to be so overwhelmed and consumed with things that we don't know concerning the spiritual realm. Lord, but let us not deny and forget that it's a reality. Help us to have a balanced approach knowing that it is a spiritual battle that we are in. Strengthen, encourage us, give us wisdom and discernment in the fight. And may we fight valiantly knowing that the victory has already been secured in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We pray this in his name. Amen. Final encouragement for you from the end of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, you love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Have a blessed week. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. You are dismissed.